Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by actors from the San Joaquin Valley. This episode features the mystery short story, Killer at the Door, written by mystery authors Loretta Jackson and Vicki Britton, and read by local actor Suzanne Grigina. Doris, irritated by a knock on the door, remained at the computer to finish her sentence. She hadn't expected or wanted anyone to disturb her. That's why she had rented this isolated cabin 15 miles from the small town of Manning on a road where few passed and nobody lingered. She had left Sioux Falls three weeks ago, right after Jim's funeral, car filled with stacks of her husband's notes. It seemed natural to return to the district Jim and she knew best, on the edge of the Pine Ridge Reservation. Jim's work had started here. Here, she would find the solitude it would take to finish it. She would herself complete his book, the culmination of his vast and brilliant study of Native American culture. Doris knew she must publish it at once, while the memory of the young professor still glowed brightly in the minds of his colleagues. The knock became a loud pounding. Total return to reality brought with it the familiar headache, the stiffness caused from long hours at the computer. Probably a stranded motorist wanting to use the phone. Almost midnight, she switched on the porch light and lifted the curtain. Eyes, glazed and frantic, bore into hers. Blood, all over him, sprang from a deep, jagged gash on his head. Blood flowed into the sandy hair, drenched the white shirt. He raised an imploring hand, leaving splotches of blood on the pane. Doris snatched her fingers from the night latch she had been about to open and shrank back toward the phone. The sheriff from Manning could be here in 15 or 20 minutes. She groped with the dial, but the receiver tight against her ear sounded dead. The erratic banging of fists frightened her more than the silent phone. Doris approached cautiously and looked out again. You must help me, he gasped. What if he died and she had not even tried to help him? No matter how frightened she was, she must open the door. Doris unlocked the latch and reached out to assist him. Once inside, he staggered and despite her frenzied efforts to catch him, fell. She stared at the wide shoulders, the thick hair, tawny in the direct light, at the blood soaking into the carpet. His blue-gray eyes opened and flickered with pain. With words almost incoherent, he kept repeating what sounded like the same warning. Doris bent closer, straining to obtain some meaning. You must lock the door. With stiff, nervous motions, she slammed the door shut and clicked the lock. Who's out there? Plaintively, like a child, 
He stretched out his hand to her. The effort seemed to exhaust him. As his arm dropped, his eyes fell shut. Doris dampened a towel and washed the blood from his face. A broad face that probably always had upon it the outline of a beard. The cold water momentarily revived him. I stopped to change a tire. Ragged intakes of breath cut into his words. When he, he stopped, I thought he was going to help me. He hit me with the tire iron. A gurgling sound deep in his throat. My wife started screaming. He struck her down right in front of me. He killed her. She's dead? Are you sure? His moan and the word, yes, ran together. How did you get away? On foot. He has to kill me. I can identify him. No, shh, don't try to talk. Janet's dead. He clung to her, desperate sobs racking his body. You're safe now. Doris's words were comforting, but untrue, the way she had talked to Jim. After a while, his raspy breathing began to grow calmer, more rhythmic. She eased him back against the carpet, wiping at the blood on her blouse. His eyes opened again, helpless, entreating. Do you have a gun? Jim's revolver was in the bedroom. She placed shells into the cylinder before returning to the front room. Was he unconscious? She knelt beside him, listening. His breath was barely audible, but steady. Doris laid down the gun and searched his clothing for some clue to his identity. Her fingers shook as she opened his billfold. Lots of cash. A South Dakota driver's license. Gordon Lytell, born 1979, Mission, South Dakota. A picture of a dark-skinned woman whose sweet face made her hear screams and envision the brutal blows. A sharp rapping sounded at the door. She rose, pointing the gun toward the door. She could sense the presence of the person who stood on the other side. Who's there? Who are you? Open the door. Doris raised the curtain, then let it fall. In this instant of vision, she glimpsed strong, well-defined features. Sensitive, dark eyes. The tense way his lips compressed made her think of Jim. I know he's in there. There's blood all over the porch. There's no one here. She had expected to encounter someone drunk or crazy. Why did he sound so controlled, so sensible? I know you're afraid, but you mustn't be afraid of me. I came here to help you. Doris took another quick look. He stood tall, lean, very straight. She could see that he was struggling to conquer some emotion. Was it fear? Rage? If only she could read the truth that carved sharp lines between his brilliant, dark eyes. Was he a Native American? He had straight, coal-black hair, 
long enough to stir with the wind. Who are you? Arlen Tut. I've been driving all day to get to Pine Ridge. Why did you follow him here? How did he get hurt? He and his wife were fighting at the roadside park, and she struck him with a tire iron. He evidently lost control. When I drove up, he was still beating her. She was dead. He paused, sucking in his breath. He ran when he saw me, but I knew he couldn't get far. Doris glanced back at the man on the floor. Which one should she believe? Let me in. I'm trying to save your life. He has nothing to lose. He will kill you. As he spoke, the door handle turned, and the wood creaked a little as if a strong shoulder were being pressed against it. Then everything grew quiet. Doris waited. She was certain he hadn't left. Are you still there? If I leave, you won't be alive when I get back. Doris's gaze darted toward Gordon, who hadn't so much as moved in a long time. If he hadn't looked so very helpless, she might have wavered. She might, gun in hand, have taken a chance and opened the door. He's in very bad shape. I'll be all right. You won't be all right. Why did he have to sound so much like Jim? Exasperation mixed with responsibility. I can't just leave you. This time the stillness lasted much longer. It gave her time to think. Arlen Tut, if that was his name, would have little trouble breaking into the house. No doubt that's what he intended to do. Her hand tightened on the gun. Shooting at bottles and black circles on paper was a much different thing than shooting at flesh and blood. Don't you understand? This man is dangerous. Your life depends on me. Now, unlock the door. Manning is about 15 miles west. You need to go there and contact the sheriff. I'm going to break the lock. She knew he had stepped back in order to throw his weight against the door. The lock would not withstand his strength. Doris raised the gun to the ceiling and pulled the trigger. Her action must have brought the point home, for she thought she heard departing footsteps. Gordon's eyes opened as if in a panic. My car is in the adjoining garage, Doris said. It's the only chance we have. She managed somehow to get him to his feet. She laid the gun down so she could use both hands to hold him. He had unimaginable weight. Once under the wheel, she remembered that she had left the gun behind. She fled back into the house and returning, placed the revolver close beside her on the seat. Now she wouldn't risk opening the garage door. She started the car and stepped down hard on the gas pedal. Wood ripped tossed here and there by the ramming vehicle. As they tore away from the garage, she saw a tall, lean figure illuminated by the porch light. His still being there assured her that she had made the right decision. In a blur of speed, she got a quick impression of his car. A late model, blue or black. But she would never, even if they did make it to Manning, be able to describe it to the sheriff. Bare, deserted fields swept past them. The blacktop road, narrow and winding, 
was not intended for speed. Where are we going? I must get you to the Manning Hospital. I'll notify the authorities. They'll protect you. No, he muttered. I'll be a sitting duck. You've lost too much blood. There's nothing else we can do. She did not look at him, but she could feel his burning eyes staring at her. Irrational, angry. His voice grew strong as he demanded, Keep driving. Take me to Rapid City. I can't do it. It's way too far. Doris glanced in the rearview mirror, her eyes fastening on the distant headlights. If only she knew which one of them to believe. For an instant, because he reminded her of Jim, she wanted Arlen Tut to catch up with them. Oh, then she told herself emphatically that he wouldn't be willing to endanger his own life in order to save some stranger. Doris rolled down the window. Sharp, cold air blew against her face. Jim had died on a night exactly like this. Dark, moonless. Doris remembered the way she had felt on the way to the emergency room. The ineffective things she had said and done. Don't stop at Manning. If you're worried about your safety, I'll go directly to the sheriff's office. Defiantly, he reached for the gun, grasping it before she could. Clutching Jim's revolver in his hand, he slid over against the door. He has a gun, so I'll need this. I don't have enough gas to get to Rapid City. The service station at the crossroads was just ahead, a dark outline of buildings. The grass-covered sunshade supported by long poles. The cabin in back where the station owner, Al Standing Elk, would be asleep. She had to try to make it to Manning. If she stopped at the station, Al Standing Elk would be murdered too. By one of them. In spite of her reckless speed, the headlights behind her kept getting closer. Isolated fields rushed by so fast she felt dizzy. Her heart seemed to stop in her chest when it first happened. The small hesitation as she pressed the gas pedal, then the protesting noises like quick and sudden coughs. The car began losing speed. They couldn't run out of gas. Not now. Not when the headlights were so very close behind. You can't stop here. She pulled off the road, saying in a doomed voice, We're out of gas. She wanted to leap from the car and run, but the flat, empty landscape offered no place to hide. The car behind them skidded to a stop. A dark form leapt out and approached Gordon's side of the car. Gordon, steadying the gun with both hands, leveled it. As he did, the dash light illuminated his furious features. Doris's head spun. She glimpsed Arlen Tut's face through the window. Cold and relentless, he no longer looked like Jim. She must act quickly and help one or the other, for her decision meant life or death. She drew in her breath, then lunged toward Gordon, grabbing frantically for the revolver. In the struggle, the barrel was forced upright. 
The sharp zap of a bullet penetrated the windshield. Arlen reached inside, his strong fingers locking around Gordon's wrists. Take the gun from him. She snatched the weapon from his hand. Give it to me. Don't, Gordon cried. He'll kill us both. Arlen half-dragged Gordon to the front seat of his own car. Once behind the wheel, he handed the gun back to her. Keep it aimed directly at him until we reach Manning. At Manning, the sheriff spoke privately with Arlen, then wanted a statement from her. When she left his office, Arlen was waiting. Dark eyes, sensitive, like Jim's, watched her as she crossed the room. Gratitude flooded over her. She had come so close to making a wrong choice. I should have believed you all along, she said. But I really didn't think anyone would do what you did. You so willingly put your own life in danger to save a total stranger. Why not? Arlen answered. The trace of a smile changed to one real and genuine. Didn't you do exactly the same thing? Killer at the Door was produced by Kings River Life. You can learn more about Loretta Jackson and Vicki Britton on their blog, vbritton.blogspot.com. Our theme song, The Blues, was written and played by Kevin Memley. Check out Kings River Life Magazine's websites for more mystery, local theater, animal rescue, and so much more. kingsriverlife.com and krlnews.com. We'll be back next time with another mystery short story or mystery first chapter. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter to get special interviews with the authors of the podcast stories. And follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL at Kings River Life. If you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it as this helps make us easier for others to find. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery.